Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. In this first episode of a two-part series, learn more about the unique border security challenges around fentanyl interdiction and how custom and border protection is responding. Featuring John Wagner, the former CBP Deputy Executive Assistant Commissioner, Joseph Dragonak at CBP's National Targeting Center, and Shane Campbell with CBP's Office of Field Operations. This discussion took place at the annual HSDF Border Security Symposium in Washington, D.C. on December 12, 2023. Hi, everyone. John Wagner. Uh, thank you for that kind introduction. I've been retired a couple of years at uh, Customs and Border Protection, spent a career in uh, field operations, and got to work with these two uh, Great guys up here with me, and I dragged him in here today to talk about fentanyl and de minimis uh, and how they're related and where CBP's headed and all the great stuff that they're doing uh, with this. But Shane Campbell and Joe Dragonak, um, I'll let them introduce themselves in a minute. But, you know, Shane, I'll start with you. Um, de minimis. I'm not going to ask you to spell it, <laughs> but like explain for everyone, including myself, what, when we say diminutive, what are we referring to and what does that mean in the context of cargo? Okay. So if you'll excuse me, I'm not going to go into the technical trade um, vocabulary, right? And talk about section 301, et cetera, et cetera. But essentially um, stuff that's valued at $800 or less is allowed to come into the United States duty-free. And that's the summary of de minimis. It's, it's de minimis in its Latin term means insignificant, right? And I think that's kind of a misnomer because de minimis right now is not insignificant for CBP or for our economy. It's, it's huge for our economy. It's e-commerce. It's um, shipments to and from the United States. Um, we're not the only country that's having an issue with this. I was just in a meeting with um, last week with some members of the EU, and they're having very, very similar issues to what we are. And we're finding that with each of the countries that we engage through our efforts, de minimis is worldwide. And every country that we've talked to is having similar issues with it when it comes with smuggling or just circumvention of customs regulations. So, I mean, basically, I order, I order something online and it gets shipped from the foreign manufacturer right to me. Yes. Right? It doesn't go to a retailer. It doesn't get imported as a commercial importation. It comes across the border. Correct. And it's and that's changed the economy, right? Because now you're dealing from manufacturer to end user without warehouses and middlemen. Um, and hence, it helps because some stuff is cheaper because you don't have all those middlemen and you don't have so much transport and warehousing, et cetera. Um, however... Is the person that you're working with, are they legitimate or are they not legitimate? And that's, we don't know. Right. So there, therein lies some of the risk and, you know, the known entities in a traditional cargo transaction are, are not necessarily now involved in a transaction. And instead of, you know, one container of, of a thousand products coming in, it's a thousand individual packages coming across at CBP all with different consignees, right? Because we all ordered something online. Yes and no, but I'm going to change something on there, which is, you know, so when we talk about those individual packages, that's, I really have to caution this. It's not just packages in the mail or express consignment environments, right? Because, for example, at the Port of Long Beach, at the seaport, we will get 40-foot containers full 
of de minimis shipments. So now you're talking about one container with thousands of de minimis shipments that's pre-labeled for postage, whether it's U.S. postage or UPS or FedEx. And those things, as soon as they're released from us, they enter the domestic stream and they go off from there. But those are all individualized transactions. It's not one big bulk transaction. Correct. Right. Correct. What are the, some of the challenges like you're seeing with the change to a, a big focus on these types of shipments coming in? Like what's the volume coming in? So for fiscal year 23, we had over a billion shipments, de minimis shipments. Billion with a B. With a B, right? That is, that's huge. And that's, that's a lot of like stuff to target and to examine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really is. And, and our, when you ask about challenges, what well, challenges come along with just, you know, the workload, right, for what we have to deal with, but also the data that goes along behind that. And I'm sure, you know, Joe will go into that a little bit too, but sometimes we're not getting the appropriate data or all of the data that we could get as we would have with prior, you know, customs type shipments, because we knew then who the end user would be. It wasn't a billion different shipments with a billion different end users. It was much smaller for us to target and better to handle, easier to handle. Right. So Joe, from your perspective working at the National Targeting Center now, like what are you seeing with, like why is why is bad data a bigger problem and what are the risks you're seeing in this type of cargo besides the traditional stuff of, you know, counterfeits and IPR violations and all kinds of other agency violations and we could talk about fake postage, right? But like what are some of the real consequential threats you're seeing in this environment too? And how does the data relate to that? So I think it's important to understand the way CBP has really, you know, looked at from the form, formulation of NTC and prior is the requirements for advanced information, advanced data to really segment risk. Uh, without that information to be able to, to identify high-risk indicators or pre- previous violators and put them into our targeting system to identify amongst this large stream. So you take that billion a year and just get that down to every day. Millions and millions of packages every day. Don't have enough officers to be able to go out there and examine every single package. So we really need to uh, you know, find, find that needle in a haystack. And the easiest way to do that, in our mind, is to remove the haystack. And that's with quality data to be able to apply analytics, predictive modeling, you know, people like to throw out artificial intelligence as the new norm and all that. Um, but we it's something we've been doing for a long time. So it's contingent upon accurate data to do there. While we can look at through post-seizure analysis, high-risk indicators and different things like that of, of things that, uh, you know, supply chain networks and nodes that are, are utilized to be able to identify those that may be high risk. Without that accurate da- data, it's hard. And we see the gambit of everything. Um, you know, much of this large consolidated shipments and that is used to smuggle everything from forced labor through IPR, through fentanyl precursors, pill presses. Uh, we don't necessarily anymore see the finished fentanyl like we used to back in the day. It's mainly those production materials that transit through the U.S. to make their way down to production labs in Mexico. And so that's the key at CBP. I mean, we have a touch point in every part of that transportation node. And, and really, we need to be able to apply those analytics to be able to take that data and crunch down to those specific targets. Interesting. Um, so. As far as precursors and, you know, what, what are some of the specific trends that you could maybe share with us as to what you're seeing uh, and how how do you hold the industry accountable to that? Because it, it gets back to the data, too, right? 
So a lot of what we've seen in the precursor world of, of course, you know, a lot of the, the, the production materials overseas in, in China and the other locations on there, predominantly in China. And just the way the supply chain networks work, uh, much of that freight transits through other countries. A lot of this is, you know, post-COVID where there weren't a lot of direct from China flights to the U.S. at the time. So you saw a lot transiting through South Korea and other locations on there. This is where our partnerships are key, our industry partnerships our international partnerships uh, and our uh, other law enforcement and domestic partnerships. Uh, But then they would come into the U.S., like Shane said. So you have these large consolidated shipments. I wish I had a picture. Uh, So one multiple pallets could be anywhere from 800 to 20,000 boxes in one consolidated shipment under one bill of lading. And then in those boxes, you open up those boxes. It's like the nesting doll. You know, you open up a box, there's another box. You open up a box, there's another box. And all those have pre-printed labels. So as soon as they deconsolidate that shipment, they scan it in and it hits that domestic stream of commerce. So it's really, it's that rapid moving to understand that not, we can't intercept, we can't examine everything. That freight needs to move quickly the time it takes on there so without that information it's key and that's where we go back to our industry partners too to say if we aren't getting accurate information and data and what we're required under the legislation and law how do you know what's in your planes like how do you know what's on your ships how do you know what's in there that really we need to work together to kind of better understand to protect that aircraft to protect that ship to protect what's coming in and protect ultimately protect american people uh, so that's key to really get industry to to understand the regu- self-regulation piece on this and really at the end of the day the ownership of that so the boxes within the box are not manifested Correct. So many times we will not see the true parties it's going to. Shane talked about right. de minimis where the requirement is that end user. And many times we don't necessarily see that on there. So that's where we look for other discrepancies in the data that we can apply predictive modeling and other stuff to be able to identify. So someone just takes the box, opens it up, dumps it into the mailbox and all the other sub packages get delivered. But you don't have visibility into no, what, it, what was in those originally, right? Correct. And that's where working with many of those, what we call last mile carriers, those that once that package is scanned, gets put on a FedEx, UPS, postal, DHL, whatever truck on there and gets delivered to that end user. That's where we have to collaborate with industry as well to kind of identify how these supply chain networks. And then once we latch on to a certain illicit supply chain network, guess what? It's changing. This is where using intelligence and other information to be able to predict those shifts in supply chain patterns is key. Right. So Shane, like, you know, Joe mentioned the industry partnerships and yeah. so what role can industry play in this? What, what's the expectations the government levies on them? I mean, you got brokers, you got airlines, you got transportation entities, but their customers are telling them, Hey, this is one box. There's not 10 inside here. Right. Well, or, <laughs> or more. Right. So, um, I literally just left a meeting with one of our partners who was one of the end shippers and, they were describing how this impacts their business too, because they get a phone call and, and they are told, Hey, we have 5,000 boxes that you need to come pick up because they're waiting for you X, Y, Z company to come pick these up and ship them. And they have no idea. They have pre no pre notice. This is coming. And suddenly they're trying to round up semi trucks to go pick up these de minimis shipments to bring them someplace else that. So it doesn't just impact us at CBP. There's a huge impact along the supply chain. So the best thing that I can say or the easiest way I can sum it up is you have to know who you're doing business with and you have to understand what their, what their business actually is 
so that you know when you're when you see something, whether you're taking it as a broker, you're taking it as a carrier, you're doing the final shipping, you know what it is that you're putting in your plane, on your boat, in your truck, wherever it is, right? Because you there is a reputational risk that goes along with that too. Along with the national security risk, there's the reputational risk for these industries because you don't want to be associated with bad stuff, right? You don't want it for your reputation, your stakeholders, your bottom line profit margin, right? So I, I think there's there's ways that we could step up and partner together. And that's what we're looking for is how do we how do we better share information with you, with our trade holders, with our trade partners, but also how do we get information from our trade partners too? Because there's a lot of data and intel that really could help I'm gonna pick on Joe, Joe's team in their targeting aspect, right? But also our ports of entries and our ports of entry and others so that they can better figure out what it is that they need to look at. One billion is a big number. That's a lot of boxes to have to open up. And so we'd rather not. It's good all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm in. Um, rather not have to do that, but rather let's let's focus on the true targets that we have, but we have to whittle through that. And it's easier to do that with data. Right. And I mean, TBP's got great history with the CTPAT program, right? And being able to have the known entities document their supply chains, secure their supply chains. It gives CBP reach into entities they don't necessarily directly regulate through that and you incentivize the industry to take these extra measures and you know secure that supply chain and you know remove some of the rotten hay from the haystack so it's yeah. smaller yeah you, right? you do it's a, it, it's a great program so currently over 10,000 members within the CTPAT program um, and we help with those with those entities we do validation so we go and we interview folks we see their facilities we help them um, realize some best practices that we know as an entity but also that other other folks within their industry know. So if you're a shipping company, we can help share some of the best practices from shipping company to shipping company under the CTPAT program so that we can help better secure the supply chain. And that's the key. Is that, and that's what I mean when I say know who you're doing business with. That's securing the supply chain, which is good for us. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow HSDF The Podcast on any major podcast platform. Visit hsdf.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum.